Well, welcome back, Nate. I haven't seen you in a while. Yeah, it's been uh, about a month and a half, I have to guess. Yeah. And welcome everyone else tuning in to another live episode of Fan Fuel Motorsports Podcast. This is episode number 84. Um, this is going to be a decent one. It's going to be kind of a shorter episode. We are going to go over the recent F1 drama um, involving um, Daniel Ricciardo, Max Verstappen, Lewis Hamilton, uh, Sergio Perez. Um, we will talk about the new Ty Gibbs news, as well as the Ryan Priest news and the NASCAR side, as well as get into what we are kind of looking for in the future of NASCAR in the next three, five, and ten years of what we think um, a direction sport needs to go in since it's offseason. We're pondering a lot of these questions here. Nate, before we get into anything, what have you been up to? I feel like it's 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 been a while. Yeah. Probably about six weeks. I'm uh, not really. Has it seriously been six weeks? I think it's yeah, maybe not. At least since I've been on with you. I feel like it's been a month and a half, but yeah. I haven't really been up to anything besides schoolwork. Just busy projects, all that kind of stuff. Um, extracurriculars. So once the semester's over, it'll be much easier to get on. And hopefully in the spring, it should be a little bit easier if I can find the right times to get on. Yeah. Yeah, and your, your schedule's always so hectic being your... You're still medical, right? You haven't switched... Anything yeah, correct. In the spring, I will be taking mostly business classes, but I'm still going to take whatever pre-med classes I have left because I don't really have many of them left at this point. Right. So I want to get that done and get that out of the way. Yeah. Yeah, makes sense. Um, well, what from this last week? I'm going to let you kick it off with the F1 news because I saw a little bit of the car- couple instances of contact during the race, and then I saw the overview of the Checo Perez um, but give me your takes on just the entire shit show that this last weekend was. Yeah, it was a mess. Um, I didn't really get to see the sprint race very much, but I know that Magnuson did get to lead a lap in F1, which is pretty cool. Um, nobody really expected him to lead the entire first lap, but he did. Other than that, I don't really know much about the sprint race. I know that the, the feature race itself was insanity. Um, lap one, they didn't make it. They had a safety car. A couple laps after they had another safety car and really the whole race was interesting to watch like brazil usually never has a boring race so i mean there were all sorts of happenings so you probably have to lead me in a direction to, to get my take on stuff because there was so well, much about starting off in the gp on sunday um super early kevin magnuson and daniel ricardo got together um what looked i mean i didn't i thought that was kind of a a shit move on Ricardo's part. Um, I definitely don't think it was the brightest thing he could have done. No, it definitely wasn't. I mean, I saw that. It, it kind of felt like it was happening in slow motion. I was like, there's no way that he just did that. Like, there's no way. And, you know, sure enough, he kind of took himself out doing that. And yeah. I've, I don't know what's wrong with him. I mean, he's he pretty much went into last year still regarded as a top five driver and I guess he didn't really get up to par with the car and he doesn't like the way it drives. And it's just, I feel like it's just been a really hard fall for him because I know that he did win once last year, but outside of that one win, it's just been like, there has been absolutely nothing to report on. Right. I've never seen such a steep fall in a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And then you, you feel Matt for, you feel for Magnuson too, after, you know, getting the pole and, um, you know, just the big day that it was for Haas and then just to get taken out super early in the race. I mean, it's racing, but it blows. Yeah, I felt bad for him because he pretty much didn't get to make a lap in the actual race. 
after everything that happened to him. And it's, it is kind of sad because I don't really think he did anything wrong there. He just got taken out. Right. Um, move forward in the race to the Verstappen Hamilton contact. This has been a huge, yeah. huge debate on Twitter and all social media the last week. Yeah. I'm sure you've seen the debates. They're always very mm-hmm. civil, um, very respectful. Never anything that goes on there. That's crazy. But, yeah. Never any slander. Yeah. Like I've, I've never, I've never seen like motorsports fans as bad as the current F1 fans ever. Like I almost regret complaining about NASCAR Twitter because can you imagine if we were like that every time something happened? Right. And something that like, granted it's contact, it's big news, but it's not, Mm -hmm. you know, any different than Chase Elliott running Kyle Larson in the wall or vice versa, you know? Right. I honestly, I was surprised that they gave anybody penalty points for that. Let a, like a time penalty is a little bit harsh, but I mean, I can understand it if they felt a certain way about it, but I, I just, I just don't see how that's anything more than a racing incident. Like yeah. neither one wanted to yield, then they're going to come together. Like there was, there were ways that they both could have made it, but neither one chose to do it. Right. Yeah. They both went in, you know, kind of going for the jugular, not wanting to give up a single inch. Um, and it, it ended, did it end Lewis's day? I thought it did. No, it actually didn't, believe it or not. He finished second and he Oh, yeah. Well see. he was pretty quick. I mean he was how much I watched the race, but he just toward the end he kind of gradually fell out of DRS range. Yeah. I thought he was honestly gonna win the race once there was a late safety car, but it just he didn't have the pace. Yeah, so we didn't so I didn't watch a ton of the race. I saw a ton of the highlights though. Um As an, it was pretty interesting. I mean, I know that Leclerc went from I think what 18th to fourth in the race. Yeah, I think yeah. he fell. He was like the last car running after a couple laps. Right. Monster, he he went from 18th to fifth and yeah, there was, there was a lot of things that went on. McLaren, neither one finished the race. So Damn. that's a big deal for the constructors because I know that they wanted fourth in the constructors due to the money that it gives out. And now it's looking kind of unlikely that they're going to get that. Yeah. Um, I do like Drew's comment here. Racing is very little place in F1 races. It's really interesting. I don't know if you heard Lando Norris's comment today about the contact with the player, but it, it blew my mind hearing him say, first of all, in racing, you learn to not go around the outside. It's like, I've never heard that anywhere in yeah. my life. Like, I don't know where, where he got that from, but I feel like Lewis and Max kind of use that same thought process. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. Kind of bad, but I mean, I feel like it's just such a weird quote. It's almost, I don't want to say there's no self-awareness because I know that he's not the only driver that's like that, but it's just, it's strange because for as aggressive as people in NASCAR are, they always leave space. Like for anyone getting squeezed off the track or squeezed into a wall or whatever. Right. Yeah. They always leave just enough room that you can have that option to lift. Mm-hmm. Whereas an F1, it seems like it happens so quick. Like, yeah. like not only that, but the moves are so much more committed. Yeah, it's strange. I don't know why, why or how that started happening, but it seems like there isn't a logical way for them to go side by side like you would think there is. Like, they have all these rules. It's like, oh, well, if this guy is a little bit ahead, then he is the corner and vice versa. And it's like, how do you know, like, if someone enters a corner ahead, they might not stay ahead by the time you get to the apex. So 
Like, how right. do you even follow those rules? Right. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah. And I've always thought that was a strange part of F1, too, that, you know, the, there's so much emphasis on the racing line that any detour outside of it is, I mean, you're going to have either contact, it seems like, or, I mean, some sort of penalty just because you have to commit the moves and the passes so precisely. Um, I mean, especially with these cars anymore. Yeah, it's a shame because I think that obviously other drivers have shown that they can go around the outside just fine as long as the other driver is respectful and leaves you room. But it just seems like less and less of them leave room now. Right. So the point where you literally have to be like ahead entering the corner. Yeah, you almost have to be like half a car ahead. Yeah. And even then, Leclerc was not – I mean, he was almost half a car ahead and he still got taken out. Right. Um, Yeah, which is – I mean, it is nuts. And it, we deal with those same issues in NASCAR here. We talk about it all the time of, you know, right. just the lack of discipline. Yeah. Um, which is nuts. that it's kind of like a worldwide thing, it seems like. Yeah. I think there isn't really a way to fix it anymore. It's just they see it once and then they kind of replicate it because the stewards have said that that type of racing is okay. And now that everyone has that in their minds. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Drew, another one. There has to be something in between NASCAR Robles and F1 not coming close to each yeah, other. Yeah, there has there, to be. And I feel like that is Trans Am racing. Yes, that or – I mean, even IndyCar. Like, they do have their issues every now and then. But yeah. for the most part, they do race respectfully. Like, they race hard, but they race respectfully. Yeah. Um, what is – later on in the race, um, there was an opportunity for Sergio Perez to get – I believe it was second in the driver's championship, right? Is kind of what he's after. They wanted him to get every point that he could possibly get because, as you know, now since it happened, he and Leclerc are actually tied going into the final race. Right. So the goal was to snatch up as many points in the Team Red Bull, um, whoever their manager is or race director, um, came over the radio and asked Max to give up the spot for Perez, for Checo coming through. Um, explained it was for the team, said this multiple times, and Max was kind of a dickhead about it. Yeah, that was strange. I mean, I've seen drivers refuse orders before, but I've never seen them refuse it for a sixth place, let alone when the driver already has the title locked up and has had the title locked up for like two or three races now. I mean, he's literally won like 14 out of 21 races and won the title like a month ago. And right here he is like no I, I want I want this sixth place like I'm not gonna give it to you and yeah I've never I've never once seen it over something so insignificant yeah yeah which I mean and that blows my mind too because now you're you put this awkward wedge in between both the drivers and then as well between Verstappen and the team um as far as you know hey man we know you just won the championship but come on it's one goddamn spot. Yeah, I know, and it's interesting. He never gave a reason for it. Like, he's like, "Oh, well, we have our reasons," but I'm not going to say it. Yeah, he did saying that like he thinks maybe he thinks Perez crashed on purpose in Monaco qualifying, stuff like that. Because I know apparently they did not start the season like this. Something must have happened between them. I don't know what it is, but right, it's just interesting because this is pretty much the guy that's helped him. Like, I mean, he literally helped him win the title last year. Right. Like, and he, just, there's like an instance, there's like this list that ESPN had of all the instances where Perez helped. And each one of them, like, if you change any one of them, then 
he would have lost the title pretty much. Right. Um, so it is, I mean, like you said, there had to have been something yeah. happened this year to change that dynamic. And I'm worried now because if you're Max, like you pretty much, you could have just burned a bridge over sixth place in an insignificant race for you. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me because now next year, you know, say he decides, okay, well, I'm not listening to these team orders anymore. Like, I just, I don't want to do this. And say he loses his job over it and they bring in another driver who's even less likely to listen. Now, now you've kind of worked yourself into a hole because every time it seems like someone ignores one of the orders after there's been like perfect harmony prior, like that's when it all goes down. Cause I know that there's obviously been, like I said, there's been cases where in more significant things, I know that Vettel ignored a team order in 2013. He went on to win a race that he wasn't quote unquote supposed to win, which I get was more significant because it actually was for a race win and it was early in the season. And I know that, Obviously, Hamilton refused a team order at Hungary in 2007. Qualifying, he was supposed to be the second car in line. He was not. Obviously, that really, really did not sit well with Alonso, and he did what he did. So I'm kind of curious to see next year if anything happens between them or if he's just straight up not going to help. Right. And not only just for the next, I mean, immediate rest of the season and the next year as well, um, with Team Red Bull, but you're like, this is going to have some sort of repercussion for Max over his entire career, because this is these are the kind of things that stamp a reputation. Um, you know, this will stick in everyone's mind for quite a while. Um, I doubt Max leaves Red Bull at all during his career. Yeah. If if he does, it's going to be super late in his career, kind of like a Schumacher F1 thing or uh, Ferrari. Um, yeah, I'd be a little surprised. You have to understand that this dynamic in this kind of cloud hanging over him is going to follow him. Yeah, because um, like yeah. I said, there's been cases of all the top drivers have had a pretty shady interaction with the teammate before. Like Hamilton's had him, Alonso's had him, Vettel's had a couple, but none of them were this insignificant. That's the thing. It's like, you know, I don't want to say it's excused to ignore something when your teammate is pretty much bent over backwards for you in the past, but in, at the same time, not giving your teammate a single thing after he's helped you so much that's bad enough but doing it over something that doesn't mean anything that's i feel like that almost elevates it to something worse than what the other drivers have done right and not only that now you're jeopardizing you know the driver standings for red bull and what what they could possibly have as far as a payout maybe at the end of the year um you know they already have the constructors championship locked up but you know that second place driver money still got to be pretty damn good yeah no i saw someone joking saying that oh well, maybe if perez finishes third it makes max look like he wanted a worse car yeah <laughs> i mean that, that, that wouldn't make any sense from a yeah standpoint. like you, your reputation at this point it wouldn't make a difference as to whether or not your teammate finished second or third especially in a year like this right yeah and i mean and not only that but just i mean come on it's sixth goddamn place <laughs> yes yeah, i've never well, it's not like they were fighting over second, you know. Yeah, I'd be curious. Maybe next week they might. I'm curious if they actually straight up give Perez a win. Right. That's retribution, but I don't know if they're even going to be fast enough because of how Mercedes looks. So, 
Yeah. And so how many races does F1 have left in their calendar? Is it just the one um, final race? Just the one race this Sunday. Okay. Yeah. So I'm very curious to see what happens between them because I think that Abu Dhabi is not necessarily the best track, but if Red Bull are quick enough to pretty much lock out a one-two finish, then I'm curious to, to see if anything happens between them, if there's anything that's forced to happen to kind of pay Perez back. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that'll definitely be interesting. Um, and they are ending a little sooner this year. I, I think they went to like middle of December last year. Mm -hmm. That's why I'm kind of confused on why the final race is before Thanksgiving. Looking over the pond, back over to the homeland, Ryan Priest was announced today to be driving the number 41 Ford Mustang for SHR next year, replacing Cole Custer. So they're going to bump Custer down in the Xfinity Series. They're going to put Priest in this car. I am a huge fucking fan of this movie. Sorry for the language for anyone watching, Grandma. Um, but this is awesome because Ryan Priest, I think, is one of the greatest wheelmen in the country. I think he is a top NASCAR Cup Series talent. I have said that dozens of times. I think he is a flat wheel man. I think he can easily, in right equipment, win 30 to 40 Cup races. Ooh, you're really high on him. I you're really high on him. I really think Priest is a top guy. I, I definitely – I just don't know enough about him to, to make any declarations yet. I know that he's had a great record in trucks. Like, he pretty much has a top three car every time he enters a truck race. I mean, he's – obviously, he's ran a couple seasons in cup full-time, but it wasn't really for the greatest team. So, right, there wasn't really much to judge him against besides Stenhouse. Right. And, of course, when he was in Xfinity, he obviously won races when he was with the JGR team. So – like he just hopped in and won races. So I think that this is really interesting because there aren't many drivers like him that get chances anymore. I think like Alex Bowman is definitely another one where it was somebody that didn't have the best equipment, but they clearly made impressions when they were in good equipment. So I think right. it's good for the series because stuff like this is very hard to come by. Yeah, exactly. I think it is absolutely crazy that they booted Custer out of the ride, being the position that his dad is in with that team. Um, oh, yeah. we, we talk a ton about, you know, daddy's money and its effect on racing. And this is one instance where that does not work. Yeah, I, I think that Cole Custer is – I definitely think that he's in that awkward position of not good enough to be in a top-tier cup car, but also he's not bad enough to be an Xfinity lifer. Right. No respect to the Xfinity lifers, but I think that if you put him where he's going to be next year, he's probably going to dominate. Right. Like you saw what he did when he was in the Xfinity races last year. Yeah, it's. I don't even think with Gregson and with Gibbs moving up to Cup. Um, I mean, Custer's only competition is going to be Allgaier, Barry. Yeah. I don't even know if JGR is going to run a full-time car next year in Xfinity. Uh, that's, that's a, I think Sammy Smith might get a ride because he's got money. But He is one that I would really like to see get a ride to. I, think I feel bad for Nemechek, though. I do feel for Nemechek. He just doesn't have the money. Right. Um, but I would like to see Sammy Smith get a ride because I do feel like that kid can wheel as well. He's pretty good. Like In the part-time stars he ran, he was good. I think he was actually... He was like top three at the Glen, I think. And I know Martinsville, he was one of Ty Gibbs' victims on the last yeah. couple of starts. Yeah, he was running well at Martinsville. Um, 
I mean, he's – and he's only 18. Like, he's going to grow into himself quite a bit here. Um, so he'll be an interesting one to watch. But, man, I can't get over Priest. I am so stoked for him. Yeah. I, think that is- I really do hope he succeeds because I think that it would be a good story for the sport to see, like, an old-fashioned driver right. get a break and they succeed because, like you said, Tony Stewart probably had to yank Gene Haas's arm for months to get this to happen because I know that from what everyone has told me, Gene Haas was the one that wanted Custer and Tony was the one that wanted Priest. And we've all known that Tony's a pretty big supporter of just putting guys in rides based on merit. Right. So I think that we need to appreciate it while we have it. Right. And if I'm Priest, I think that Tony Stewart looking at me that way would kind of pump up my ego a little bit, you know, because he's kind of the one that blessed Kyle Larson's career early on and said, you know, how he has this much talent. Now he's doing kind of doing the same for Priest, um, which I think Mm -hmm. is fantastic a huge confidence boost for a guy like him yeah i think that it's big for nascar like you said we just need more stories like this right he's what like 31 32 around there yeah i believe he's mid 30s Um, yeah so this is this is kind of new territory in the sense that it's been a while since a driver that old has got their first chance in top tier equipment yeah so he's 32 um I'll turn 33 in October of next year. Wow, that's um, really hard to believe. Yeah. Um, back on the Cup Series side as well, Ty Gibbs is moving up to the surprise of no one. Um, we kind of all knew that he was going to move up in his grandpa's shop to the Cup Series this year. But he's going to drive the number 54 instead of the number 18. What is your take on the number switch? Ooh, this is weird. I think it's just going to be weird because with my – age i've never ever seen a year in nascar that doesn't have the number 18 in the field so this will be a first for me it might not be a first for other people that were around before jgr but it's definitely new for me and i don't necessarily think it's the worst thing ever but i think that it's going to be a big culture shock for everyone it's kind of like when austin dylan got the three it wasn't a huge thing but a lot of people were just shocked that it happened and I think it'll take a while for everyone to get over it, especially because Ty Gibbs, if we're being honest, doesn't have the best reputation by now. So that'll probably um, – it doesn't help the narrative that's going on against JGR right now. Like that's the least I can say. Yeah. Um, I have, along with you, I have never in my life seen a cup race without the number 18 car in it. The last time that the number 18 car was not in a NASCAR Cup Series field was when Dale Jarrett failed to qualify at North Wilkesboro in 94, and that was on October 2nd. So if you were born at any time after October 2nd, 1994, you were in the same boat as us and have never seen a cup race without the number 18, which is nuts. I just I was think it's crazy. I was thinking about this yesterday. I think the only two numbers that I have seen run every single season in Cup in my career are one and two. There's wow. probably another that I'm missing, but just over a quick field, that's what I've I got. Seen eleven for sure, and obviously, yeah, forty-eight is run pretty much every points race since I've been alive. Yeah, yeah which is, I mean, it's crazy to think about. Um, but then you wonder too, what's Ty Gibbs' reputation going to look like in Cup? Is a lot of that going to bleed over, or are these going to Cup guys? They've already been racing with him for several weeks, so he already has a reputation. Especially we saw with Eric Jones on Twitter, kind of calling him out calling him on his bullshit. 
um, as well as the incident with Ty Dillon um, on pit road. There's, he's already got a negative reputation cut. I don't think it's going to supersede his Xfinity reputation. Um, but I do think we see a lot of guys challenging him this year. Yeah. I'm sure that certain drivers will probably give him a really, really hard time. I think the older drivers will definitely give him a hard time just because of his reputation. Like they're not going to want him acting like that at that level, especially. But I think at this point, he's got to be under an enormous microscope because I don't think there's been a prospect with this much hate in a long time. And obviously with how Kyle Busch left JGR, it's, it's been a bad PR season for JGR. Pretty much anything they do in the eyes of the fans is bad. Like right. even if it's something that they didn't do, they'll still get blamed for it just because, oh, it's JGR, they're bad. So right. I'm sure the number switch probably angered a lot of people. And I'm sure the fact that who the driver is will make it worse. So I think it's going to be pretty tough. Even with, like Drew said, even with the um, the news from Phoenix, I think Daytona's a long way from now. So I don't really know what it's going to be like when he actually does start to race. Right. Drew brings up a great point. And my buddy Colby tweeted this yesterday too. And I, I agree. And I'm on the same mindset as he was. And he said something along the lines of, I think that the tragedy of the passing of Coy Gibbs is – it's immense. I mean, it's heavy. That's mm-hmm. that's some tough shit for anyone to go through, let alone yeah. someone like Ty, who is 19 years old and just the highest of highs and lowest of lows, back to back within mm-hmm. 12 hours. Um, so, like, I couldn't even imagine the amount of pain and strength that takes to go through. Um, yeah. I think this mellows Ty out quite a bit. I think the passing of his dad kind of resets something in Ty. I think it's going to, I would really hope so because I don't want to make any changes of opinion in him prematurely because I know that I've been guilty of this with other drivers. I, you know, I made the mistake of thinking that they changed and they didn't. Right. And I'm not saying it's going to happen to Ty Gibbs. I just think that it's so early to to really say that he's going to change or not. I think we have to wait and see because, you know, at the end of the day, there's 36 races for him to, to pretty much create whatever reputation he wants to create. So I'm just interested to see whether or not he's really serious about changing because I thought he was a couple months ago, you know, he raced a couple guys clean for wins that I would have never expected. And then he just went right back to where he was. Right. I think you kind of have to wait to judge him. I don't want to change an opinion on him until I've seen change yet. So I think we're going to have to wait and see. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm in that same boat too. I'm not going to make any, um, mm-hmm. any mindset changes until like you said, the proof is in the pudding. Um, right. but it is, I do think this is something that, that would humble him out a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. maybe not quite to the point where he takes away all of his aggressiveness and we see him race like MTJ. I think he's going to race smarter in the future. Definitely. Especially with knowing that the last, you know, a week or so that he spent with his dad was in turmoil of the Martinsville. Right. You know, I think that's going to play a lot into the future of Ty Gibbs. Mm-hmm. Cause I think that he's, he knows at this point that if he keeps going down this path, he's still going to win races. There's nothing that would stop him in that regard, but he's just going to have a much harder job if everyone is against him. Cause it was like the a few years ago where he was the fastest driver in the garage, but he still, couldn't even make the final four because he had so many people mad at him. 
you know? Right. I mean, it's kind of like being super good at your job, but not getting along with your coworkers. I mean, it's yeah. just not a really good atmosphere Less at any track. Yeah. Now I do have, we had Jeremy on the show. I'm going to bring up Drew's comment here. I think JGR was trying to actually avoid controversy by not having Ty go to the 18. I think that is true. I think the fact that Ty driving the 54 in cup is nuts solely because of the fact that the number 54 came from Kyle Busch Motorsports and Xfinity. And Mm -hmm. that number came essentially tried to come from KBM and trucks, which was the 51. And our buddy Jeremy Clements owned the 51 Xfinity and would not give Kyle that number, wouldn't sell it to him, nothing. And so the whole reason that Ty Gibbs is going to race and form a career in the number 54 car is because Jeremy Clements didn't want to give up a number. I honestly, I'm on Jeremy Clements' side for this. Like, I am too. Number, and it's his. I think he said it's his family's number. Yeah. Like, there's history behind that. It's not. He didn't just get the number because it was available. It was his family's number. So yeah. I completely respect him wanting to keep that. Yeah, but the absolute iceberg that that created of yeah. Jeremy Clements going Xfinity racing, leading to the number 54 being a possibly a several race winner in the Cup Series. Yeah. It's Nuts. Just- Butterfly effect. Mm-hmm. That's like um, that video I saw last year, year or two. I don't know when I saw this, but there was this video by NASCAR in history about like Greg Sachs and Slim Fast and like how that yes sponsorship deal like falling through pretty much created like Hendrick Motorsports now yep. at least like half of their team. Yep. Yeah, that is crazy. If y'all have not checked that out, please check out NASCAR. Yeah, like, I never knew about that. He has a ton of cool videos, and that is a super cool one, just showing the butterfly effect of one fallout from a sponsor creating a Cup Series dynasty. Yeah. Even though this is just a number, it's still interesting to look at because obviously numbers mean a ton to people. Right. Not only that, but numbers, I mean, carry legacy. If you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, the drivers uh, can, I mean, God damn it. (laughs) What's the word I'm looking for? Successful. God damn it. Yeah. Uh, it is a long day. To the rest of the episode, we are going to discuss the future of NASCAR. And Nate and I have both listed out things that we would like to see in NASCAR over the next several years. So in three years, Nate, what do you think NASCAR needs to do to become either more successful, more profitable, um, or just overall more enjoyable? Oh, man. I feel like the short-term goal, if you had to give me short like longer and long, I'd probably say the first goal probably relates to marketing and like how they advertise themselves because obviously there isn't really a lot of time to do drastic changes in three years. But if you get people interested and do better promotion, then you might hook people on. Like right. when I was a kid, I got hooked on because there were all sorts of promotions. Like there were video games. I mean, they were selling die casts in grocery stores. They were doing all sorts of things that they don't really do anymore. Right. Um, I think I'm, I'm with you. I think three years, there needs to be a huge marketing shift in NASCAR. Um, I think first and foremost, we need to fix the aero issues and the safety issues of the car. I think we need to fix the aero issues and short tracks, road courses and the safety issues. Those need to be number one. Number two needs to be marketing. Are you on, you're not on TikTok, are you Nate? Uh, I've actually, like, I just, I created an account, but I haven't really used it. Like, I, it still literally just says user with a number behind it. I haven't even made a profile. So yeah, I'm yeah. definitely not on there very much. Do you watch any like the Facebook reels or anything like that? 
the YouTube little shows, anything, anything real, kind of like an old yeah. vine. Um, I, I'm addicted to TikTok. All right, I fucking love it. However, I have seen a ton, a ton of Monster Jam stuff the last like three weeks. A ridiculous amount. I don't know what Monster Jam is doing and how they are sponsoring their stuff, but whatever they are doing, NASCAR needs to pay their marketing guy and bring him over. Because yeah. I have seen a spike in Monster Jam, not only promotion, but just activity, um, engagement on social media. It is amazing how quick this one's jumped off. Um, F1, same way. F1 took to social media about five or six years ago, and it just exploded in the U.S. And that's why we're seeing a lot of the popularity combined with the Netflix show. NASCAR needs to do something else other than make a shitty F1 Drive to Survive knockoff that airs at 10 p.m. on a goddamn Tuesday night. We need yeah, to that, was, that was really disappointing because I thought the content in the show was not bad. The content in the show was good. It was very, like, it was very down to earth. It wasn't as fabricated as Drive to Survive. So Right. I have no, I have no disagreements with you on the aero and safety side, but I do think that the marketing, like you said, we had so much good promotion, say ten or fifteen years ago, and I know people are saying like, well, maybe it won't work now, but it's like to me, it almost seems like they should go back to doing what they used to do because, yeah, do you think of the way that I got hooked? I got hooked because I saw NASCAR in so many different ways before I even knew what it was. You know, if you're a kid, chances are you're probably going to like cars or trucks or planes or whatever when you're like a preschooler. So if you got NASCAR diecasts available in the store and like a four-year-old kid starts, the four-year-old kid picks one up, then it's in their head. Like it, it's equivalent of what, say, like a toy car would be or a, a toy truck. You know? Right. Yeah. Every or kid has that. video games too because yeah. we've obviously seen the issues that motorsport games had in the last couple days it's we're not in a good place in terms of video games we used to have and you can still you can go on ebay and you can buy a shit ton of collectibles go to your local flea market anything like that and you can grab collectibles from the late 90s to mid 2000s for dirt cheap mm -hmm. and not just die casts and cards and things like that i'm talking about coke cans and beer bottles and cereal boxes and mcdonald's wrappers and the fact that I mean, to your point, Nate, drivers' faces used to be plastered almost everywhere. You used to not be able to go into a Home Depot without seeing something of Tony Stewart or Lowe's with Jimmy Johnson. Like, even Why? the shopping carts at Lowe's were literally, like, they had, like, the 48 on the side and everything. Right. Like, the, the, the children's shopping carts, instead of, like, a spaceship or whatever that, like, Publix has, they were a race car. Right. Like, they had That's 48 on the side and... There were big banners saying like, "Oh, we're, we proudly support Jimmy Johnson and whatever." Yeah, and we just they finally took that banner down a couple of years ago. It was there for almost my whole childhood. Right, and I mean, and not only stuff like that. Um, they were, I mean, literally everywhere. It seemed like um, Ryan Blaney drives number twelve. His face should be plastered in every single Menards, and instead of their eleven percent rebate that they do, they need to do a twelve percent rebate and match that and just run yeah. with it. I really like, I mean, for example, I use Cheddar's as a good promotion example because a couple of years ago when they first got into NASCAR, like they gave out a bunch of cards and stuff at the track and all sorts of free things in the midway. And then they had, obviously they had menu items that were themed after NASCAR. If you've ever went to a Cheddar's and if he, if Reddick would win races, you would get free food on Mondays and they were really good promotions to where I had never eaten at a Cheddar's in my life until 
I started seeing them on TV. And yeah. it's like the same principle applies to NASCAR. If you flip it around, then they, you can get people hooked on the sport just by having them see it. Like yeah. if you don't get out there, then you're not going to see anything. And especially TV is what really aggravates me too, because if you watch FS1 or, you know, NBC, well, NBCSN doesn't exist anymore, but USA, you never see NASCAR commercials unless it's during the NASCAR race. Right. Like how many, how many times did you see the, the Denny PJs commercial outside of a NASCAR race? Like that generated like $60 million worth of revenue for Domino's. Right. Like people made fun of that commercial, but man, like it actually worked. Right. We used to see the Gillette Pro Glide commercials with the Gillette Young Guns all the time. And I remember there was a commercial with Truex where he was like playing a piano for Napa. Yeah, and doing that ad lib. No, that was on all the time, and that was on like every channel. Yeah, there and, were there were so many. Yeah, and it doesn't even need to go as deep as you know million dollar commercials. I mean, some social media presence would be awesome. They are getting a little bit better, but why are they not putting money into sponsoring posts? I mean, I would sponsor every post as much as I could. Yeah, honestly. Like I feel like especially there's leading up to the Coliseum, I feel like after January that needs to bump up and i don't feel like it's happening no it's not i mean obviously we're in a better place marketing wise than car is but that's not saying much like, right it's really not saying much yeah within five years what are a couple things nascar needs to do i have one that i would like and i have one that i would need i'll tell you the one i would like i want them to scrap the playoffs and go back to a chase format within the next five years I think everyone on this podcast would like wholeheartedly agree. Not only that, but I think this last season really left a sour taste in a lot of the playoff supporters' mouths too. I've seen like um, our buddy Dakota Rutledge on Twitter was a huge playoffs guy until about eight weeks ago. Yeah, that like even that that's just shocking to see it because I recognize so many people that were in support of him, like you said, and you don't really see it anymore. Yes. Oh my God. That's that was one oh. that we were gonna hit on for sure. Like that was get there. That was my need was infrastructure upgrades because there's no reason that phone service should not work. There's no reason that we should be having still nineties and two thousands technology at the racetrack. I mean, we had Sprint as a title sponsor, we still had problems. Like that's the oh, most right. inexcusable fumble that I've ever seen in terms of a title sponsorship because it, it doesn't make sense to me. I know that Daytona has really good infrastructure. You've got shelter from the rain pretty much anywhere you go. You've got escalators, elevators, all sorts of midway stuff. But when it comes time for race day, I pretty much can't get on my phone from the time everyone gets into the stands to the time the race is over. Like, it right. just doesn't work. And I can't even log on to certain Wi-Fi networks because there's so much traffic. And I don't, I'm not, I'm not a person that's on my phone very much at races, but I would still like to like take videos or tweet stuff every now and then. And I can't really do that. Have an experience and share the experience um, while you're there. It's not, I mean, that's not a tough ask. Every, um, under every stage break, I pretty much like, I try to tweet stuff, but and if, it doesn't really happen. Right. And it's not even close to out of the realm of possibility to do within the next couple of years. If you look at giant stadiums, NFL or MLB Dodger Stadium seats 50,000 people, and it is way smaller than any racetrack in NASCAR. Um, so why, if they can do 50,000 people in that tiny area, why can't we do 80,000 in Texas Motor Speedway? Right, and it's much bigger. Mind-boggling. 
and you look at the problems that we're having, and there was, I mean, even this year, the Daytona 500, I was in the grandstands and I had a friend in the infield who was working for, working for his company, taking photos and whatnot of the race. And he gave me the Wi-Fi password for the track media staff. And I couldn't even get on because yeah. like, it just wasn't working with how many people were there. And then, you know, when I gave up on that, I, it took me, took me four hours to send a text. I sent a text to him saying something about how I don't like Hamlin being at the front of the field. Like he should drop back or else because they're not going to make it. And funny enough, that text did not send until after the race. Hmm. And that was after Hamlin had been taken out already. And it's like, yeah, it shouldn't take four hours to send a text. Right. Um, I think another thing that needs to be done within the next um, five years, I mean, obviously infrastructure upgrades, things like that. Um, I would like to see. A, I would like to see a way that NASCAR can control or at least regulate the goddamn concession prices. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. When I go up to the goddamn shack, I fucking hate paying $25 for a goddamn burger. And I know that falls on the SMI and ISC, but there has to be something you guys can do. I've honestly got to the point where I almost don't eat much anymore at a racetrack. Like, maybe I'll have a snack, but it's just... It got to the point where I would literally DoorDash pizza to my hotel at like three in the morning because I'm like, man, I'm not paying like what I'm not paying like $12 for chicken tenders or whatever. Yeah. Um, There's like a thousand restaurants that are across the street from the track that I can go to before or after the race. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just, and I, I think that's a, a very minute thing that I'm definitely looking at from a cheap fan perspective, but it definitely means a lot that I don't have to go to a racetrack and spend an extra $50 just for me and the lady to yeah. get eat. It was insane what the water prices were at Daytona in August. I mean, it was a hot day, and it was middle of the day. There was not a cloud in the sky until it started raining. So it cost me like 30 bucks to get, you know, five bottles of water. Yeah, yeah, which is ridiculous. Um, and Drew makes a good point. At this point, you just kind of have to tailgate, honestly. Yeah, and they don't really let you pretty much in anyways. Yeah. At least if you're in the stands. Within 10 years, what are some things that NASCAR needs to do to kind of push back up? Oh, so I guess I guess I'll kind of combine some of the five and ten. So I guess what I was gonna say for five years is that Oh, sorry, I skipped right over you. For the I think for the engines and the OEMs, I don't think we need to like bend over backwards to attract them, but I do think we need to keep enticing them to keep them here. Because it almost seems like they spend so much time trying to attract them that they have it in their minds that, oh, well, these guys aren't going to leave, but you never know. It could be like Dodge. One one of these three leaving can be disastrous for the sport. And I think that, like you said, I don't want them backwards. I don't want them doing so much to attract a new OEM that they run the other ones off. But I do think that there needs to be things to keep them excited, like give them a reason to keep coming back. And I think, obviously, the integration of – hybrids is going to be pretty crucial for nascar because we haven't got there yet but it's it's going to be soon yeah it's definitely coming um i have at 10 years that half the schedule needs to be short tracks assuming that they fix the arrow issue at the short tracks Ooh, wow this is a big I, one i think that is our bread and butter even if they expand the schedule by a couple races i don't think that's out of the realm of possibility within the next decade mm -hmm. um i was 
I guess that does tie into your three-year goal, right? Because you said you needed the aero package fixed. We need the aero package fixed. The five-year would be infrastructure. Ten-year is set the schedule. Yeah. I Honestly, I feel like the biggest thing with NASCAR is like if we have to use separate rules packages like we did last year for each track type, then I would be fine with that if it means that no particular track type has a bad race. Right. I know these people are going to dominate every now and then, but I don't mean bad race by one guy leads on laps. I just mean bad race by like, can they race one another? Like does the packing allow for it? You know, I think the short track races were really good. I don't even think that's a tall ask. But they were still good. Yeah. I don't even think that's a tall ask for the teams because up until this year, teams were building a new car for almost every race anyway. Yeah. Um, Like literally just change them. Okay. Well maybe you have to change the spoiler and change the fuser, but all, all things that can be swapped out fairly easily. Yeah. And I um, wish, that, like you said, I wish that they could do this because obviously the intermediate tracks are doing really well right now. And right. I think that we do need to keep a good chunk of them because you don't really get that type of racing anywhere else on big tracks because IndyCar, the only super speedway they consider super speedway over one and a half miles. The only one they have besides Indianapolis is Texas. Everything else is just a short oval, and it's like we can't go to IndyCar to get intermediate racing. We obviously can't go anywhere in the world to get intermediate racing. The only other forms of oval racing in the world are short tracks, and it's like we need to make sure the intermediate product is still good because it's unique. Like, kind of, I know Alex is like a big intermediate guy, and I'm definitely there too. I just think that we need to get both track types good because. We obviously we need short tracks. Like there are routes we can't get rid of them, but we also need we need to have intermediates be good too because that's something that kind of makes us unique. And I don't want to say oh well, dirt races don't make us unique because there are other series for that. Street races definitely don't make us unique because every other series does that. Right. So this is kind of our, I guess it's almost NASCAR's party trick. Right. Yeah, and I mean, and to both your and Drew's point here, Drew said, I want to fucking scream at the sky with Chicago Street, and even the mention of New York Street is a possibility. Why, as NASCAR, why are we having a serious points-paying race at a street circuit at all? I have no idea. Like, it doesn't, like we said, we need to prioritize what makes us different. Like, we need to make these intermediate tracks good because – if a fan wants to see it, NASCAR is the only place that offers it. No right. other series offers intermediate tracks anymore. So it's like we got to take care of that. We can't just do something that every other series is pretty much running into the ground. I mean, IndyCar has – they don't have a big schedule to begin with, but they have a good chunk of their schedule with street tracks. F1 is going to be nearing half of their schedule with street circuits. Like, why do we need to do that when – it's already an oversaturated market. Right, exactly. Racing. Yeah. I mean, is another one too. They have really good street racing. Yeah. And that's just, I mean, the point of we don't see Monster Jam trying to run at Talladega, you know, like <laughs> we need, I think NASCAR executives need to know what we're good at. And that needs to happen fucking now. Like, like we can take some things from other series. But we don't need to take everything. Yeah. If you look like, at, okay, any, well, yeah, go ahead. If you look at any huge successful business, the only reason they are successful is because they found their market. McDonald's got rid of everything on their menu except hamburgers, french fries, and Coke, and then took the fuck off. 
Why right, are we like, having McDonald's pizza anymore for a reason? Right. Because like they know that they're not the best pizza place. Like, exactly. Why are we going to keep doing this if it's right. not not something that we actually do well at? Exactly. NASCAR isn't a pizza place. Let's yeah. stop trying to make pizzas. I think F1 understood the assignment in the 50s when they had the whole race of two worlds thing, and they even counted the Indy 500 as an F1 race for a while. And they they eventually figured it out. They're like, there's no point in doing this. Like, we're just going to do what we do well. Right. And same for IndyCar, but I guess they don't they don't really have a, a claim to fame in terms of a track type that they created. So I feel like NASCAR needs to do a better job in the sense that we pretty much created intermediate tracks. We created a large type of like a large percent of all the track types. Like we pretty much made Dover. We pretty much made Pocono. Well, no, IndyCar made Pocono, but we made Darlington. That was one. Right. I mean, you look at intermediate tracks, Charlotte, Atlanta, Texas, right? Vegas, Kentucky, Chicago, every, every one of them. Yeah, it's like, what? Why are we going? I feel like we're going away from them at the wrong time. Right. Yeah, I agree completely. I think we, if we're going to be in an upswing, we need to be at the places that we are already goddamn good at, and quit expecting people to follow us to the new markets to try stuff out. Right. Like if someone, if they see the Chicago Street Race next year, and they see like a green flag run every two laps. Oh wow, we made it two laps. We crash. Make it two laps. Crash. Just think of it something as like chaotic as the indie road course finish. If they see that, they're like, well, this isn't that good. I can just go watch an F1 race for the same product, but better. Right. It's and like, even new people that are showing up to that race, if they have not watched motorsport at all, I do not think that this track, looking at the layout and everything, is going to produce hardly any passing. I cannot imagine that it's going to be a fun race to watch. It's going to be a hot day in Chicago on the 4th of July weekend that people are going to want to go do somewhere else other than watching cars parade around. Mm-hmm. And like like we were saying, there's no point in doing something if it's just going to be half-baked. Like, right. I feel like that's what it's going to be. Yeah. And yeah. another goal that I had for 10 years was – it's funny enough that we timed this episode on the day that NASCAR pretty much announced that they are going to acquire – some Brazilian GT car series because one of the goals I had was globalization and it wasn't necessarily like we need to race everywhere. It was just from the development ladder side, because I remember there was an article sometime last year about Kevin Harvick talking about his son's racing career. Mm -hmm. And he's like, well, every time I go to the kart track with all the kids, they all, none of them want to race in NASCAR anymore. Like they all want to go to F1 or they all want to go to IndyCar because it's almost, that's the pipeline. If you look at road racing, almost every road racer that, you know, races full time in any road racing series, they all come from carts. There's very few road racers that didn't start in carts. I think Austin Cindric is probably the highest profile example of a very good road racer that didn't start in carts. And it, it almost makes me think that NASCAR is missing out by not having a bigger presence with the karting scene. Like they could get kids that maybe they don't have the money to make it to F1 or maybe they don't have the resources to, to move to Europe or whatever. 
they can get these kids interested in NASCAR and maybe they're like, well, this is, we want to go this way because Ty Gibbs is one of those kids. I don't think he had F1 in mind, but he came from a karting background that was more similar to what kids in Europe went through. And he ended up a perfectly good prospect for stock cars. And it makes me think that there's so many kids that are talented enough to, to take on a different discipline with stock cars that, it's almost foolish to not to not recruit some of those kids. Right. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. Um, we need, I mean, just get it in the minds of kids. Right now, NASCAR, to anyone outside of, I mean, avid fans, is kind of a joke motorsport. Like, we're not seeing like we were 15 years ago in the fact that it was a cool thing to be into, and these guys did a lot of hard work. Now it's just seen as the – the redneck sport again, just like we were in the eighties. Right. And it's sad because if you look at the guys in NASCAR that have a karting background, almost all of them excel at road courses. So there's a clear relevancy for karting that even drivers today use it as a training method. So clearly if you took a kid from one of those series and said, Hey, we can, we can get you to NASCAR. They'd probably adapt and adapt well while they're still young. So I feel like if you look at track house, they have a, a development driver. I don't, I don't remember his name. It was like Brent, Brent something. Um, he races, he obviously races several different series in dirt. He races in Trans Am, but he started racing carts in Europe. He's not from Europe, but he went to Europe and raced carts for a large majority of his childhood. And chances are the reason track house has him as a development driver because they probably want him in NASCAR one day. Right. And I and think probably, kids like that are a success. I think Ty Gibbs is a good enough example to where anyone with enough talent can do it. I mean, Ty Gibbs, he went from shifter carts to late models in like a year. That's a huge, that's a huge switch to flip. And he right. did it. So there are other kids out there that have the talent and capabilities to do it. They just, they don't know enough about NASCAR to consider that because it's not on their minds. They've probably never seen it. Is that Brent Cruz? That's his name. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. And yeah, like you said, I mean, there's a ton of talent out there. It's just getting our product in the right hands um, in, into these kids' hands. Like you said, while they're still young and adapting, race car drivers are only going to get younger. There's no way that kids are going to start racing at 15, 16, making the Cup Series anymore. It's, just anymore. it's a thing of the past, right? If, you, if you're going to make the Cup Series, you have to be racing at five, seven, nine years old. Yeah, and all these kids that go through karting in Europe, even if they don't make it into F1, they still go to other types of sports car racing. Or, you right. know, they go to Formula E, they go to IndyCar, whatever, because their talent was good enough to get them noticed. And right. I feel like – all we do is open up another path for the water yeah. to go down. Because I think that obviously it's very difficult for Americans to, to go to Europe and go through those F2, F3, F4, all these series because they don't have the money or resources to move at a young age. So for the kids over here, maybe they're interested in IMSA or maybe they're interested in, in Road to Indy. But those kids that do all these high-level karting competitions – like there's got to be a way to get them interested in NASCAR. Like maybe, maybe just having NASCAR have a presence at these tournaments. Right. You know, exactly. NASCAR teams having scouts at the track. 
Yeah, and I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility, especially with the way that social media is nowadays. Um, you don't even necessarily have to have anyone at the track. Just have some guy on your team that looks out and watches all these races to see who can wheel, who can't. Yeah. I mean, there, that used to be a thing. I think David Smith, who used to do that positive regression podcast, like that was his job for a long time. He was a quote-unquote talent scout for a couple teams. Like his sole job was literally to crunch numbers and watch kids at local tracks. Yeah, which is goals. <laughs> Honestly, mm -hmm. dream job. Yeah, and look at him now. He works at RFK. And right. It's like a data scientist or whatever. Right. Um, yeah, nuts. Drew does bring up a good point, too. We're sleeping on the entire micro scene with the 600s. Micro sprints are so badass. <laughs> if you get a chance, Nate, I will give you my Flow Sports login. Um, check out the micro sprints at the Tulsa at the Tulsa shootout in December. It is crazy. They're 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 legit. They're cool. I feel like are those like between what an outlaw car in a full blown midget? Yes. Be? Yeah. Yeah. So that's pretty much like what Drew said. Brent Cruz has probably driven in them plenty of times. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure the kids that are there that even those kids that don't want to go to NASCAR, they just want to make it into top level racing. Like right. get, get talent scouts there too. Yeah, right. exactly. There's only kids that could be good stock car drivers, but we would never know it because NASCAR doesn't really have their teams get out there enough to understand that. Right. Which I mean track house could very well be NASCAR saving grace in the stuff they're doing now. Yeah, they've I think they actually have I don't know where I saw this, but I saw some photo on Instagram from Harvick's page and his son has a track house patch on his suit mm. and he carried this patch for like, he does all sorts of like high level carding competitions in Europe and whatnot. And he carried this patch and it's like, hmm, it's pretty interesting. So that makes me think that Justin Marks is investing in the carding scene, like talent from the carding scene because he founded GoPro Motorplex. So he probably knows a thing or two. Right. And not only, I mean, just like we mentioned, getting it in the right hands, but with the popularity of F1 and racing in general, um, there are buddies that I've known for 15 years that are now getting into F1 because of the popularity of it. What a better time to try to poke our own nose in as NASCAR fans than right now in the immense boom that we're seeing of kids attract to motorsports. Um, I don't think we fully comprehend. I don't think we quite yet fully comprehend the amount of impact that motorsport that the current market of motorsports has and is going to have in the next 15 years. Yeah, it's all because of drive to survive. Right. Like exactly. if I go to the karting tracks and, you know, I meet random people that I've raced against, there aren't a ton of NASCAR fans, but almost every one of them I talk to that, that recognizes my helmet design, or maybe they recognize a hat that I'm wearing. They're like, oh, well, I'm an F1 fan too. And I ask them, well, how long have you been an F1 fan? And they will say, Oh, well, I got into it a couple of years ago. I got into it through Netflix. There aren't a ton of right. F1 fans that I met that are longtime F1 fans. You know, I, they were a rare breed. If you go back five or six years ago, I would never meet another F1 fan in person. Whereas now, right. every time you go to the karting track and you're racing against somebody, they're probably an F1 fan. Yeah, to so some like, degree. People are like my age, they're early to mid 20s. So. People my age still do care about racing. They just don't care about this type of racing. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's crazy as an adult because a lot of that F1 shift happened when I was roughly your age, early Mm -hmm. 20s. Um, You're a couple years ahead of me. Yeah, it's crazy to see, like I mentioned, friends that I know have known for decades that weren't into racing until Netflix. Yeah, I think it's good to see in terms of a racing thing because I think that it does lift all ships. But I I just like I I think that NASCAR needs to do better to to kind of capitalize on that rising tide. Like their boat can't have a hole in it, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah, it lifts all ships that can float. We can't have a sinking ship and expect to be not drowned by the rising tide. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, this is yeah, we went over a lot. We went over a ton. Drew, I'm going to get to your comments. This is, these comments, um, man, I'm loving the comments I'm seeing from him. Drew says he's calling it here first. I see Bell going to the Tulsa shootout, but not to the Chili Bowl in 2023. I'm right there with you. We're going to do a huge, we're going to do a huge preview show of both of those sometime in December. Um, one for the Tulsa shootout, and then immediately following for the Chili Bowl. Um, I don't think we're going to see any of the big name Cup guys in Chili Bowl. Larson's already said he's not doing it, right? Yeah, and I'm sure it's over the person, the promotions, right? Because I know that there was a yep. big. I'm not a big dirt follower, but I do try to watch the Chili Bowl every year, and yeah. there's a lot that's been said about they're not happy with the person, everything like that. Yeah, because it pays a thousand dollars to win, and you have what like 400 people to enter. Yeah, and not only but like the talent pool, all try to make the race, and yep, you're yeah, all for a thousand dollars. Yep. The talent pool is spending, miles deep. Yeah. They're probably spending close to seven figures, I would imagine, these top teams. Yeah. And they only get a thousand dollars in return. Yeah. That's just um, I mean, I've known there's carding competitions that pay more than that. Right. My local track pays more than that once a year. Um and Larson already confirmed that's a huge, a huge oh, so it is ten K for Chili Bowl. Okay. It's a, a thousand for the shootout. Yeah. That's um, still that's I mean, there's so many dirt races that you hear of right. that pay way more than that still. Right. Um, Larson already confirmed he's not going. That is going to be a huge hit, a multi-time Chili Bowl winner, a guy who ran second last year. Oh, he ran third last year. Um, not being in the show. It is horrible. Pretty much every year for the last four or five years felt like Larson versus Bell. Yeah. Um, so we'll get more into this um, yeah. kind of mm-hmm. as the winter wears on. We get a little bit closer to it. I like um, other than that, go ahead. There's a comment, another comment from Drew that says he's commenting on how strange it is that NASCAR's fan base is isolated compared to other series. Oh, so there's, not, there's yeah. not much crossover, like he said. There's not a lot of people that like, oh, I like NASCAR and F1, or I like NASCAR and IndyCar. Or, there's some with dirt. I noticed there's some, but yeah. there's still, it's not, it's definitely not what it used to be. Because I think that there are a lot of fans that are into both dirt racing and NASCAR racing that they're kind of getting turned off from NASCAR and they're making yep. dirt priority now. Um, Jared I, I, yeah, he's one of them. He pretty much now it says, he doesn't say NASCAR, he says race car fan. Yeah. Like yeah, he pretty much goes to more dirt races than I've been to motor races in my entire life. Yeah. Um, and it's sad because if you look at F1 fans, a lot of them will watch sports cars. A lot of them will watch IndyCar they'll watch other road racing series. Whereas we kind of, we're kind of so unique that it's almost a bad thing. And that right. you see that with the development too, like I was mentioning, you, the way that you get to NASCAR is so different than any other form of motor racing that our talent pool is inherently smaller to pick from. Because right. 
every other like if you look at IMSA or IndyCar, Formula E, F1, you all start in carts. A lot of these guys go to Europe if you're like a top prospect. Then they move into the the junior series like F4, F3, or whatever. If they don't make it to F1, chances are they will go to sports car racing. They will go to Formula E, IndyCar, whatever. All of the like the latter steps are very condensed. Like, right. like if you look at the grid of a Formula Two race from like five years ago, you'll see in the same race you'll see IndyCar drivers, you'll see F1 drivers, you'll see sports car drivers, Formula E drivers all racing against one another at the the junior levels. And I think I don't think that we need to change our ladder system, but we do need to make a bigger presence with karting because those kids could get convinced to come to our feeder system. Yeah, ex- I mean, we need to not be so isolated that nobody really knows about us. Yeah, like it seems like the path to NASCAR is through NASCAR. That's it. Right. There like, needs the to only be- way to get into NASCAR is to buy a truck ride. Yeah, pretty much. Like, unless you're Raja and can have a ton of marketability. I race. You know, but like you have to have huge, huge avenues to even start over here. Whereas in Europe, at least you can get into carts for a decent amount, even if it is just a slower rental cart, you know? Yeah, I think that's the problem that we're having. Like we need to make it global, the global system enough to where we can get, we can get enough fans to care about more than just NASCAR. Like we can have, we need to have a bigger crossover. Like we need more F1 fans to care about us so that, if there's a kid that wants to go to F1 one day but doesn't have the money, they think of us as an option. Right, exactly. Like, there's going to be kids that grow up that they become drivers and they clearly have talent. They just don't get to F1. And there's got to be a way to attract those guys here because they don't come here. Right. Yeah, I mean, and to Drew's point too, it's also ass backwards that the kids are paying more for the truck seats than the purses they're really close to, which is a huge option. Maybe we can just have like a marketing and finance episode. Yeah, so, maybe maybe in a couple of years when I'm finished with my degree, we can definitely get there. Uh, I've got probably take some classes on that. I don't have a degree, but I've definitely got some credits built up from a lot. Yeah, of I can tell you what's well, going on. Like Drew said, though, I mean, if you think that's bad, there are kids that are paying like they're paying two to three million a year. To, to drive an F2 and they don't get a salary. They don't get paid like yeah. anything. They have to like, they have to pay for a house over in Europe. They have to pay for a trainer, all that kind of stuff. Those kids could easily afford to race in NASCAR. Like right. if we get talented kids with that kind of backing, they could realistically have an option to make it in NASCAR. Right. Like, yeah. I'm not saying pay drivers are good. It's just, like, like Drew was saying with these... If, these if we're going to have pay drivers, let's have some fucking pay drivers. Like, let's have really good ones. Yeah. Like, there are guys in F1 that very clearly had a major advantage with money. Like, Lando Norris is probably the best example. I mean, his dad was... Like, he was halfway between millionaire and billionaire at one point. Mm. But he's still clearly a good enough driver to where he made it on talent. Obviously, right. the money helped, but I think, like you said, if we want the pay driver, we want the good pay driver. We don't want the guy that literally just bought I don't the want, no qualification. Right. 
I don't want Quinn Half and Riley Herbst. I want mm-hmm. Lando Norris. Yes. Like yeah. I want, let's just, let's take some examples here. It's hard to think. Um, Noah Graxon's probably a good one. Greg's he was not right? a TRD development guy. His dad paid for the KBM seat. Yeah. But he proved his worth over time. Like that's a good pay driver right there. Yeah. Yeah, he's definitely a good example. Um, Ty Gibbs is a damn good example. I wouldn't really call him a pay driver. More he's so more of like a, a legacy driver. If yeah, you know. I would more say. Last name. Like, I wouldn't call Ryan Blaney a pay driver because obviously his dad, did not, his dad made him drive, like, Tommy Baldwin cars. Right. I mean, Corey LaJoy is definitely not one either. Right. Like, we've heard it from – we've heard it from – I can't even remember his nickname, but it was the hollow driver. We've heard it from him that, like – he oh, made Rhino. Corey drive, yeah, Rhino. He made Corey drive mediocre equipment to make him learn. Right. So I don't think it's fair to assume that every driver with the last name is like automatically a multimillionaire. You know. Right. But it is fair to assume that these guys that don't have a famous last name and you see them buying a ride, they probably have a ton of money. Uh, one final thing, I will I will touch on this. Drew, to your point, Quinn Half had sheet metal that come up on Racing Warehouse lately. I was wondering who in the fuck is going to buy that shit. Colton Cranmore would definitely buy that shit because 45 years from now, I'm going to point at that and say, do you know who that is? And everyone around me is going to say no. And I'm going to say, you all can go fuck yourselves because I remember that. Yeah, like I do like obscure merchandise. Yeah, that's some of my favorite shit. For it, but it's going to be it's going to be one of those things that like NASCAR man history would talk about. It's going to be one that, like, a diehard fan is like, Yeah. Like, those trivia questions. It's like, when did he drive? Like, what year is this from? Yeah. Yeah. So that's – I would absolutely fucking buy that. Yeah, there was – I, I saw a deal that. online where you could purchase Nicholas Latifi's helmet visor from last year's race at Abu Dhabi. And obviously he played a massive part in inadvertently deciding the championship because he crashed with a couple laps to go. Right. And I'm thinking someone's going to pay the thousand dollars, whatever, for that visor because it's pretty much a piece of history. It's yeah. very obscure by a driver who's probably never racing in F1 again after next week. Right. This, this, this is a piece of history right here. Yeah. And not only that, it's just cool to say I got the visor that he looked through while he crashed to ruin this GP. You know, <laughs> cool stuff like that. I'm a huge fan of. I agree. Like, Nate, I, that was a damn good show. This yeah, is a damn yeah, good hour for sure. We we planned before we got on and made it live. We planned on like thirty minutes, and we have gone for now an hour and fifteen. So yeah, um, we, we timed yeah. out pretty well. This was this is a good episode, Drew. Um, please don't buy that sheet metal because I don't want to see your wife divorce you. She has um, really nice decorations in your house that you post on Facebook all the time. So. Um, other than that, Nate, do you have anything, any uh, other final points before we? Uh... No, not really. I definitely think that this could be a multi-part series in off season. I don't know if you want to have people come on or ask questions about what they want for their three, five, ten-year goals. That's just a, this is definitely a topic that we could talk about for like a whole day. Yeah, this is definitely something to expand on, even to bring up in the next wide open fan fuel. This might even become a partial series, at least, at least through the off season of yeah. us just discussing what we think the sport needs to do better. And we need a shout out because this week could be Sebastian Vettel's last ever race in F1, which I don't want to say it's his last because we've seen guys come back before, but 
chances are it probably could be his last. Yeah. So, so it's going to be a pretty big weekend for him. Yeah. Vibes out to Seb this weekend. Mm-hmm. Watch the final F1 race this weekend. You will not be disappointed. At least I don't think so. There's already a champion. There's yeah. not much excitement that could be had on that end. Um, mm-hmm. Except for the fight for second, I suppose, which will be interesting. Mm-hmm. Between fight for fourth and instructors. There's, there's a fight for ninth. There's all sorts of things going on. Yeah. Um, this one will still be a damn good race. There's no NASCAR to watch. I don't know what else you guys are going to watch other than F1. Football, I'm, maybe. I'm be productive um, on Sundays. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone. We will yes. more than likely not be reporting next week just because mm-hmm. of Thanksgiving holiday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Getting into the holiday season, our shows are going to be a little bit more sporadic. We might do every other week. Um, just kind of gather a little bit more content and not be so saturated. Um, other than that, any last shout-outs, Nate? Uh, I think we got last plugs. All righty. We do want to plug Left Turn Cult. Check them out tomorrow night. They will yes. be inter- interviewing Ryan Vargas live on their channel. Check them out on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Left Turn Cult. Go ahead and follow us on all our social medias at FanFuelMSM, capital F, capital F, capital MSM. That is on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch. Um, we have a Discord as well. Please check us out on there. Until next time, Nate and Colton, we're going to sign out. Thank you.